Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest vodcast. And this is actually the Canon lecture I gave a few weeks ago at the Society for Abdominal Radiology. It was a true honor to give that talk, and it was entitled 3D Imaging to Infinity and Beyond. And I'm going to use that talk as a basis for this talk, and I'll probably just expand it. I think I had about 35 minutes to speak, and I'm probably going to do this in three parts. So we'll do it just a touch longer. I added some more slides. I had to cut back on some things because of the time. So they asked me to speak about 3D imaging, kind of where it is and where it's been, which kind of gave me the second title, What a Long Strange Trip It's Been, as the famous Grateful Dead song. And it's been a long journey, kind of not well planned, which is the typical journey. And we know that 3D imaging, like most of computing, has changed a lot for many reasons. Hardware, software, everything has changed. And here's a picture loading on an airplane a five megabyte hard drive that is a hard drive you know five megabytes is on your phone or on your keychain and that's actually a small little thing no one has five megabytes right you have five gigabytes so it's just amazing to think about where we've come from there now when i give this talk i mentioned that when i look back at talks i gave 15 years ago 20 years ago and in some ways, the, t the role of 3D imaging hasn't changed. Optimize detection of pathology, optimize the definition of the extent of disease processes, help with planning, patient management, and triage, and better selection of optimal treatment planning. And you think about it, the initial stuff we did with 3D imaging was orthopedic because we had four millimeter thick sections every three millimeters, and the patients would move because the scans took a long period of time. So we needed things that had minimal motion, things that were affected by respiration were just not going to work. But that was what we did, right? You're looking at acetabular fracture. Do we see the fracture better, the extent of the fracture? How do we operate on the patient? It was an acetabular fracture 30% of the time. Very experienced surgeons changed their management based on looking at the 3D imaging. Now, what I've added over time is minimizing medical error. Medical error is very important. It's something we all speak about. But I found that when you use 3D imaging, you could pick up a lot of things that even the best radiologists will miss simply looking at the axials and even coronals and sagittals. Now, when you use the term 3D imaging, it's just one of those terms because it's really a visualization technique. Good articles way back when, I always quote these two, scientific visualization is concerned with exploring data and information in a way to gain understanding and insight into the data. We're trying to find a deeper level of understanding of the data under investigation to allow us to have new insight into the underlying processes relying on our ability to visualize. It's this idea of seeing more and understanding more using the information, or in this quote by Gershon, the process of transforming information into a visual form, enabling users to observe the information the visual display enables the scientist or engineer or radiologist or orthopedic surgeon or oncologist to perceive visual features which are hidden in the data, but nevertheless are critical and needed for data exploration and analysis. So you could see it's this understanding. So perhaps we should simply say, we don't do 3D imaging, we do visualization. And to me, that's probably more accurate. Now, you can say we wrote articles in the late 80s even about this, but you can see articles even in press now. 
Here's an article talking about preoperative planning with 3D imaging. It's ideal for patients doing laparoscopic surgery, particularly the more complicated cases, and we've said that all the time. Now, I've used some of the cases of the next few slides before when I try to make points about the whole idea about visualization. And I like to say in this case, the patient has Crohn's disease based on the axial imaging, the submucosa thickening, the enhancement of the mucosa, some stranding in the mesentery, and coronal views show it better because we can see the extent of the lesion. But then you go to the MIP imaging and now look at the vasorecta, the comb sign, look at the details you see knowing this patient has active disease based on these, Im based on these images. And you also recognize, of course, with MIP imaging, we'll speak about MIP versus volume rendering. Uh, MIP has certain limitations, the projection technique, and volume rendering now shows you both the vessels as well as the wall thickening, shows you the area of strictures. And we make the point that this data set required no additional radiation, minimal amount of radiologist time to create the 3D images, but this represents 1,500 slices, but look how much more information you have by looking just at a single or two images compared to looking at thousands of slices. Or in this case, another patient with Crohn's, again, looks at the vasorecta, look at it both with MIP and volume rendering, some nodularity, there's small nodes, very classic active Crohn's disease. So this might be an example of where you would say, hey, I saw it on the axials, but now I see it better, I understand it better, I can manage it better. But you take this case, and I'm telling you the patient has a duodenal mass that was missed three different scans, and it was there. And I'll tell you it's in the duodenum, and I'll even put a line through it and circle it for you. And I got the best image. I stopped perfectly. But you can see it's subtle. And the reason it's subtle, but it would be easy to see in 3D, is because it's a very flat lesion. You can see it's in the duodenum, but it's in the upper portion. A coronal view, the enhancement of the lesion, classic carcinoid, makes it easy to see. It's especially easy to see if I put a circle around it. But it's so easy to see, but it's the right plane. Or this example of a patient who had these vague abdominal pain, history of GI bleeding. You look at the axials, and perhaps the cecum doesn't bother you, but if you look more carefully, there's some prominent vessels there compared to the rest of the bowel in these arterial face imaging. And when you look at it in 3D, you really see the prominent ileocolic vessels. You see the prominent vessels into the cecum and proximally ascending colon, and here's two views of it, and you swap it over the MIP, and you realize you're dealing with a vascular process. You, you end up, you're dealing with um, the source of the patient's GI bleeding. Now, this vascular ectasia that we see here is shown both nicely in the MIP and volume rendering, in some sense better on the MIP, but it's in the volume that they see the information. On the single slices, maybe you picked up a little bit more vascularity, but you wouldn't have diagnosed this colonic angiodysplasia, which was the cause of the patient's GI bleeding. And even in cases where we see the lesion, and this patient had GI bleeding, and I've circled a one and a half sonometer enhancing lesion, which was a gist tumor, but look at it when you have the 3D imaging. You can see the relationship off the branches of the SMA, for example, and in surgical planning, or in cases where you do embolization, you basically are generating a roadmap for the surgeon. Now, let's take a step back.
to where we started the lecture. And we said we've been doing this for many years. And let's look at a 32-year period. What has changed? Well, in a sense, everything has changed. We've gotten older. Hopefully, we've gotten smarter. The CT scan data, the network transfers faster. Hardware has changed a thousand times faster, a thousand times cheaper for the most part. Software has changed. How we look at information, the size of the data set, no longer 80 slices, now two to 5,000 slices. New applications from Vercolin to coronary CTA to GI bleeding and on and on. And new technologies from 3D modeling to deep learning. If I pick three of the major changes for us in 3D imaging, it would be the data sets. We used to do four millimeters thick every three. 0.75 by 0.5 is classic now. We don't deal with the motion artifacts that we always dealt with. The post-processing speed, dropped hardware costs, yet the computers are so much faster, Moore's Law at play. I remember in the beginning it took us 25, 26 hours to process 60 to 80 slices. Now we can do 1,000 slices or 1,500 slices on my iPhone in real time. And our algorithms have gotten better. Remember way back when we had shaded surface, maybe a little bit of MIP. Now there's volume rendering, there's MIP, there's cinematic rendering. Things continue to change. Now the Hopkins experience, we started with deck computers. That means you use the computer that was on the scanner. Very slow. Obviously, it was not set up for doing 3D imaging. Then we went to the Pixar computers, which were state-of-the-art at the time, but had their limitations. We then went with Steve Jobs' next company, then went with Sun to Silicon Graphics, where a lot of our work was done. The Silicon Graphics was the state of the art in the 90s, and Silicon Graphics kind of lost their way. As cheaper solutions came along, computers with simple speeding boards, volume pro boards, and video boards, and now we've gone from that to uh, using classic Dell computers or whatever you have, sticking in some NVIDIA boards or iPads with NVIDIA boards. So everything has gotten cheaper, faster, more available. And it's impressive how the change has occurred. Now, if you look and say, well, show me some images. Well, let me show you some images. If you're really good, you know that's going to be the pelvis, the formed hips, but boy, Image on your right is a hip dysplasia. Image, you know, left is normal, is again, dysplastic hips. Then the Pixar computer came along. Prior study was on the deck computers. There's the Pixar, there's the boards, and this was done at Lucasfilms in 85. RGB shows your bone, muscle, and fat, something that was never done before. And it even got us in the newspapers. That's one of the first images we did. It's hard to imagine they wouldn't wait a week but there we are talking about this back in 86. If you look at the Pixar story, this is a good video, but let me just show you part of the video. And it starts at about the five minute mark, which shows reconstructions of CT data. Uh, this was four millimeter thick sections every three millimeters. As I mentioned, this reconstruction will take you uh, 25 hours to do. But you can see the quality was not all that bad. You can see here we made things transparent. But think about the limited data set we had and think about how long it took to do this. We once did the sea otter with Bob Drebin and Michael Stoskoff from the aquarium. Took us forever to scan and took Pixar 
a long time to reconstruct that data set. Now, the other thing that came out of Pixar is not only the hardware, but the software or the algorithms, volume rendering, Bob Dreb and Lauren Carpenter, Pat Hanrahan, Classic Paper 88, Computer Graphics, explained how you can do 3D imaging, in this case, on medical data. We got a lot of credit at Hopkins for this. In fact, Diagnostic Imaging, in December of 2002, when they talked about the history of CT, they gave us credit for develop, developing volume rendering. We sent to a note that that was wrong, but hey, the chart was there. What could we do? Now, the thing about volume rendering that made it so impressive, everything to that point was shaded surface. Volume rendering was able to use all the information, not just surface boundaries. Object thickness and contours were able to be seen. And we were able, in a couple of years, to get the quality of images like this, acetabular fracture on the right, very nice soft tissue and muscle detail. This was as good as it would get on the Pixar computer. Now, we did scan large areas. We did a cadaver, Ralph Rubin, Bob Drebin, myself, Derek Nye. And this was reconstructed on many Pixar machines over many days at Pixar in California. And there was a skeleton which could rotate around. Just very, very impressive. Now, it's amazing when you think about this and how many days and how, many, how much money it would cost to do this. We're now simply with server-side rendering. You can use running over the net, running over public Wi-Fi. You can basically create three-dimensional images in real time on your iPad or iPhone. This is WebViewer software. But you can see very nicely the quality of this renal cell carcinoma, the 3D mapping, the involvement of the left renal vein. This is interactive. So the ability to do 3D is no longer limited by time, place, or space. You can do it anywhere, anytime, and do it very quickly. Now, I will say in terms of 3D imaging, I did have some issues perhaps in getting it right when it was going to be available. Here's an article, 1991 state-of-the-art article in radiology, talking about as we enter the 90s, we predict one of the major achievements of this decade will be widespread diffusion of technology of computed image processing into the medical community. It moved forward a bit, but over the next decade, not as fast as we wanted. I also, in this computer graphics world article where they had predictions of the future, I did say real-time rendering in five years. That was pretty good. This article was 92, so I was pretty much correct on that. I did, however, say we would see a much more diffusion of this technology into the hospital. I talked about virtual reality. So maybe, again, I'm just off by a little bit. Maybe I am predicting the future, but it will take about 30 years to reach our dreams. And when we wrote articles, this was an article in Radiographics, where we spoke about 3D imaging becoming routine. Well, that's still 20 years later, or make that 11 years later, has not come true. And this article by Pam Johnson, again, spoke about the point that 3D rendering needs to be mainstream, not something unique. But again, it's taking a lot longer for us to uh, evolve into this than perhaps we would have thought about. Now, when we look at uh, imaging, really uh, rendering becomes one of the most critical things to us. And it's important to remember that rendering is the technique that really creates the images. Obviously, you need a good data set, but the rendering technique is the computer algorithm used to transform, transform the axial images into 3D images. So two classes, thresholding or surface-based or binary techniques, 
and percentage or continuum or volume rendered techniques. Now with volume rendering, and we'll just cover this a little bit, it's a percentage classification technique. That's why the Pixar stuff was so exciting. The ability to not do everything black or white, something was yes or something was no, things can be partial. They can be any percent between 0 and 100%. Each voxel was therefore accurately represented by a probabilistic uh, classification involving trapezoidal approximation, and every tissue type could be represented, and changes to accentuate information could be done in real time. With MIP imaging, uh, it's a technique that is not quite volume rendering or it's close and not thresholding. That's a technique where the brightest structures are projected along the line from the viewer's eye. One thing about MIP that's good is that every vendor makes it almost the same. Volume rendering, there are many flavors. MIP is easy to use. You recognize you need to do bone editing, but it does have certain advantages, but it does create certain artifacts. And I'll show you this case for an example. This is a patient, as we look at the images, you can see a vascular lesion in the patient's liver, and this is MIP imaging. You very nicely see the feeding vessel going into the lesion. Uh, you can see that as I scroll through that, uh, and it's very nicely shown. And that's classic prominent feeding vessel, center of portion of the lesion. The lesion enhances, it's very vascular. This is focal nodule hyperplasia. And you can see in an organ like the liver, uh, MIP works fairly well. Now the problem with MIP, of course, is it's a projection technique. So here I'm showing you the vessels, but I'm not showing you the liver texture per se. Also, when we like to look at information, we look at a data set with a thickness of slab. If you have a very thin slab, say 5 millimeters, then the projection technique or the volume rendering may look somewhat similar because the slab is so thin. When you use a thicker slab, say 15 millimeters, which you often want to use, then the volume rendering shows you everything in terms of relative perspective. The MIP, everything is simply projected, so things are overlying each other. And what happens then is it's inaccurate in telling you precisely what is going on in the data set. Things in terms of three-dimensional relationships will be wrong. So for example, in this case, if I show you the volume rendering and ask you how many renal arteries there are to the kidney, on the left, there are two no mistake between MIP and volume rendering. If I ask you on the same patient, where's the renal vein, we have a problem. On the volume rendered image, the renal vein is anterior to the aortic classic position. On the MIP image is retroaortic, which means you have a retroaortic renal vein. Well, it can't be both answers. One of these has to be wrong. Well, the issue is when you look at MIP imaging, whatever is brightest seems closest to you. Whatever is less bright seems further away. So on arterial phase imaging, which this is, the aorta seems to be in front, the vein is in the back. On the volume rendered image, it always shows things exactly where they are. So it becomes exceedingly important to recognize this. And you want to use both of these techniques. We use both of them in practice, but you need to know the good, the bad, and the ugly. Let me leave you with one more thing before we start or stop and then go back to part two. The idea about 3D imaging is not something uh, that is not accepted across the country. This was a consensus statement, the Abdominal Radiology Society and the APA. Now the goal of this project initially was to create a template for reading studies of patients with pancreatic cancer to be able to compare different institutions and different trials. But 
when you started sitting down and saying, aha, we better look at the protocols to make sure things are the same because we can't do a standard report if the studies aren't done in the same way. And when people started looking at what a standard study should be, they recognized that 3D was necessary for accurate staging and that a CT angiogram is required in these patients. And you can see there's no great surprise in that. Look how nicely when we look through the images, um, you're able to see the on these images the, the uh, celiac, the SMA, and then if I change the images and do things in real time, look how nicely I can bring in the pancreatic gland in 3D and its relationships to the vascular map. And the idea of 3D is this interactivity. So if I show you this next case and I look at an IPMN main duct and type with volume rendering, you can see as I show you the images, as I scroll through the data set, the ability for visualization, the ability to understand not just static images, but doing things in real time. So I think a very important part of 3D is not to look just at static images. The idea that a technologist, no matter how good, could generate images for you, and that's good enough, is not good enough, because you want to interact with the data. You want to understand things better. And if you go to this next case, you can see the cirrhosis adenoma, where the patient's hepatic artery is stretched around the lesion, the Swiss cheese appearance of the lesion, as you scroll through the lesions, the ability to uh, see things with volume rendering or see things with MIP, the ability to visualize all the details of the patient's stretched hepatic artery, stretched GDA, are all easy to do. And it's not just this example, but it's across the board. So if I look at the patient with a dissection of the SMA, the MIP versus the volume rendering, or I try to look at other things we do, that have texture. The fact that we can look at different things becomes very, very important to us and how we do things become very critical. Now, let's do this. Let's stop at this point and let's come back in a few minutes and let's discuss a little bit more about this idea of signatures with the volume display and why 3D imaging becomes so critical, particularly with volume rendering for looking at this. Let's just take a five minute coffee break and we'll come right back. See you in a second.